to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Now you can follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast, and be sure you join me there every Tuesday for Training Tip Tuesday. Brand new dog training tips coming your way every single week on my Instagram page. You can also uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel at Speak a Dogcast and become a patron of the show today if you want to support the show even further at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love the show, if you love the podcast, if you guys love what you're hearing, Apple Podcast users, Spotify users, do me a favor, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, let me know what you're thinking. I would really appreciate it, guys. Now on today's show, housebreaking your dog. We're going to go over everything you need to know to housebreak your dog. We're going to talk about how to keep that simple and get it done. Then we have utilizing a training leash. Maybe a tool you just don't think of. I think it's an underutilized training tool. We'll talk about many ways you can use a training tool to your, or excuse me, a training leash to your advantage. Then we have the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you have any questions for the listener question and answer, feel free to email me questions at speakadogcast.com or you can message me on social media. Your question might even get featured on the show. Yes, now before we get going with today's podcast, I have to give have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what breed of dog is the tallest dog? Yes, what breed of dog is the tallest dog? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. on Speak a Dogcast, housebreaking your dog. Now, maybe you have a new puppy. Maybe you've just got a rescue dog who has never been housebroken fully. It, it can be either or. And the cool thing is about housebreaking is honestly, guys, it, it, it's done the same way no matter if it's a puppy or an older dog, okay? And housebreaking is pretty simplistic. The hardest part of uh, housebreaking a dog is the consistency, the follow-through, and not being a lazy human being. (laughs) That's that's just the full-blown honesty truth of the matter. Housebreaking is really not that complicated, and unfortunately what we do as humans is we overcomplicate it, and we overcomplicate it. There we go, we overcomplicate it. You know, you try to overcomplicate a simplistic thing and it, it, it just doesn't work, right? It's not going to work very well. So we have to keep it simple when it comes to housebreaking. We need to not overcomplicate it, not add any crazy, ridiculous tools or variables that are just unnecessary and we don't need. So we're going to talk about that today. And again, the cool thing is puppy or full-grown dog, doesn't really matter which it is. We're going to go about tackling housebreaking the exact same way. Now, with that said, every dog is a little different, okay? I've had some dogs that just housebreak in two weeks. I have other dogs that it takes six months to fully housebreak them, okay? And right, difference between fully housebreaking and um, you know an accident every two weeks or so, something like that. That that's that's pretty good, but it's not fully housebroken, right? We can't we can't have leave our dog out and have them hold it for eight hours and no problems. So housebreaking is one of those things where it is a little kind of up to the individual dog. At that, at the same time, the more consistent and the better you are and the more you follow these instructions, directions <laughs> for housebreaking, the better success, the faster success you most likely will get. I only say most likely because again, I've had some dogs that are just a little difficult to housebreak. They just, they throw, you know, they just, they don't quite fully, look, again, I, I give the example all the time because it was my own dog many years ago. Um, and I, look, I, I probably wasn't quite as good at housebreaking dogs as I am now. I didn't have as much knowledge, but Colby Jack, my golden retriever, 
he would, I don't think he actually ever pooped inside the house, but man, we had so many pee accidents. Like, oh my gosh. I think it was about seven months old is when he finally started really fully being housebroken, but he peed in front of the door we took him out of. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, we got to that point where he'd hold it. I was missing a signal or, you know, whatever, something was happening, or maybe he just went over and did it. I couldn't, this was so many years ago, I couldn't even tell you exactly what, where I went wrong in my training necessarily, or I didn't go wrong, and that's the point, or Colby was just a little more difficult. Penny Lane, we housebroke in like a month. Um, you know, she wasn't housebroken at all. She was four and a half months and a big dog, and I was able to do it in like a month with her. Colby took till seven months old, and we even, we even started with him at a younger age, so... Again, just kind of want to throw it out there. Don't get discouraged if your dog is not having that success in the time frame you're looking for, because sometimes with housebreaking, it just isn't up to us. All right, so let's get into it. How do we housebreak our dogs? Okay, so there's a lot of important variables, and I'm just going to run through the steps of like how we do this. I'm bringing a new puppy home. Let's say I go out and I get a 10 month, excuse me, 10 week old puppy. Let's just say we're going to start, and like I said, it's the same way no matter what, but we're going to give the puppy... um, uh, example, <laughs> and then, you know what that doesn't matter. I guess dog example, but if I have especially like a puppy, the, here's the and here's the other difference, guys. Puppy, here's the only difference with housebreaking with a puppy versus a larger dog, or an adult dog. An adult dog is going to physically have the ability to hold their bladder, and a very young puppy is not. There's really the only difference in housebreaking with first uh, puppy versus an adult dog. Okay, so yeah, okay, there is that, but that's not going to change our method. That's just a variable we have to understand and deal with, right? So look, if you have a puppy 16 weeks and younger, let's just start there. 16 weeks and younger, do not expect perfection out of their housebreaking. Some of y'all might get it, and that's fantastic. Some of y'all might not, and that's okay. And that's what I want to tell you. If you have a puppy uh, 16 weeks, four months or younger, I don't care size, breed, anything. Don't be discouraged if they're not 100% housebroken yet, okay? That's like, I can hear a couple people going, oh my God, thank God, David. Like, I thought I was going nuts. I've had this dog for six weeks and he's still going to my house. Welcome to having a puppy. You know what I mean? Like, it sucks, but <laughs> it is what it is. So keep that in mind. Now, again, first thing I'm going to do, first thing I'm going to do is when I take my dog outside to go pee, I'm going to leash them up. It is irrelevant if you have a fenced yard or not. I could not care less. Uh, if <laughs> Couldn't. Could not care less if you have a fenced yard. You must take your dog out on a leash. This is not only for the puppies, this is for full-grown dogs. Training is all about the ability to guide and direct behavior. The problem is if you just let the dog in the backyard pop off the leash and they go, you can sit there and say, go pee all you want, but if their brain is distracted, if they their nose gets on something, you don't have any physical way to redirect and change that focus. Right? It's, it's like pretty simple when you think about it. If your dog gets too distracted, it's hard to keep them focused. Makes sense. So very, very important. I think this is one of the biggest details people miss out on with housebreaking is not leashing up their dogs when they take them out. So make sure you're leashing up your dog when you take them outside. Now, before you go outside and getting our leash, I want you to also grab a couple treats and put them in your pocket. Okay. Yep. This is one of the exceptions where we don't absolutely need our treat pouch. I'm cool with this for, <laughs> for housebreaking sake. We don't absolutely need our treat pouch for this. I just need a handful of treats ready to go. Okay, so I'm cool with it if you want to just throw them in your pocket, but don't have them in your hand because your dog is going to know with the nose and they're going to keep following your hand and that's not what we want. Couple treats, leash them up, we go outside. Now, I'm going to start physically guiding and directing my dog, almost doing figure eights and circles. You know how dogs circle when they pee? Everybody knows that, right? Trying to find that right spot, if you will. And so I almost want to put them into that pee mode, into that pee zone mentally by doing the figure eights and doing the circles. And I'm going to say, go pee. That's it. One go pee. Leave it alone. Keep guiding. 
I'm going to wait like 20 seconds before I say the next go pee. If I feel like they get distracted, I redirect, hey, go pee. Wait, let them sniff, let them focus, let them think. And then once they do pee, once they finish peeing, I'm going to go, good girl, good boy, and immediately give them the treat. This is why the treat's important to have now, guys. We are absolutely not going to wait till we go back inside. We cannot wait till we go back inside to give them the treat. We have to give them the treat right there, right after they go. Dogs need to make that connection immediately. You don't have very long. You really don't have a long period of time between the dog finishing a behavior and being able to connect the dots of getting the reward. So it's really important that you take that reward and you reward them immediately after they do their business outside, okay? Now, if you know your dog needs to pee and poop, they need to do number one and number two, no problem. We're gonna guide and direct again, same thing. Rinse and repeat until they do the second one. What happens when our dog doesn't do what we need them to? What happens if I know they need to go, but they didn't? I'm going to bring them back inside, and I'm this time, I'm going to keep the leash on. We're not going to take the leash off. Okay, we have two options here. Two options. Either they have to be leashed by our side, or if you cannot keep an eye on them like that, you know, then they go back in their crate for a few minutes. 10, 20 minutes goes by, I bring them out again, leash them up, treats in my pocket, take them outside, we rinse and repeat and try again. Go pee circling, mentally getting a minute. If they don't, same thing. The key to this, guys, is if your dog doesn't go and you know they need to, do not let them have freedom in the house. They will find a spot. They will wait for the moment you are distracted. They will wait for the moment you turn your head. They will wait for the moment your text comes in and you're looking at your phone and they will pee inside the house and you just set yourself backwards. So it's important to be ahead of these things. That's really what training is all about. It's about being ahead of it. So if I don't allow my dog to go and sniff around the house and all of a sudden they go, oh, I gotta go. If I don't allow that, Guess what's not going to happen? An accident in the house, right? Like, yeah, awesome. Okay, so keeping it simple. This is very basic, very simplistic, very easy. Okay, we go outside, we guide and direct to go pee. If they go, we reward. If they don't, we come back inside and we keep them close to us or in the crate. Wait 10, 20 minutes, try it again. It's that simple, guys. It's that simple. That's the basic, like, that's the basic gist of housebreaking. Now, there's definitely more aspects to it. We're going to get into the details as we go, but I can't stress it enough. That little routine, that little exercise, what I just told you, key. It's, it's key, guys. You have to be rinsing and repeating this stuff correctly. You have to be rewarding the behavior when they do go, and you have to be cutting off and not allowing the accidents, the peeing, that behavior to happen inside the house, excuse me, inside, <laughs> right? Now, the details. Let's talk about the details. Here's a detail we need to know. Big important detail, guys. Pee pads are a big no-no from the professionals. You heard me correctly. Professionals do not like pee pads. Trainers, we hate them. There's very few instances I could ever see us needing to use pee pads. There are a handful of exceptions. We're not really going to get into those today. Like One of them is like you live in a high-rise apartment and you've got a really small young dog and you're not making it downstairs before that dog's got to go. I get it. There's ways to set that up for success, and we're not getting into that today, but that's one of the handful few exceptions of needing to use a pee pad, okay? Cannot stress it enough. Stop using the pee pads. You're just confusing your dogs. Guys, the very beginning of the segment, and I've said it a few times, what, what, is, what, is, what is housebreaking all about? Keeping it simple. The last thing we need to do is add in another very, like, think about it. We're trying to do two very simple things. I'm trying to teach my dog, excuse me, three things. I'm trying to teach my dog to hold it, hold their bladder, hold their poop and pee, right? Very simple. And you need to teach them to hold it. The second thing is I'm teaching them to not go inside the house. And the third thing is I'm teaching them to go outside the house. Three things I've got to teach my dog. Why in the world do we want to add a pee pad in there? You see what I'm saying? Now we're telling our dog pee inside and pee outside. Whoa, didn't we just say we're trying to teach our dog to not pee inside? Correct. 
That's why pee pads are a problem. You're now adding an extra variable that can be very confusing for your dog. Stop buying the pee pads, guys. Big training mistake. I know I can hear, David, I had success on my pee pad. Well, good for you. You're the 1%, guys. I'm telling you, on the whole, it's not going to work. Stop using pee pads. Pretty simple. And not to mention, I'm saving you money. <laughs> Be grateful. I'm saving you money <laughs> by not buying these pee pads. All right. So keep that in mind. Now, if your dog does have an accident, let's just talk about that for a moment. We're not putting their, their faces in it. Look, here's the thing. If you don't catch your dog immediately, like in the act of actually going, there is absolutely nothing you can do except clean it up. I hope you all heard that. If you do not actually catch your dog in the act of going, there is nothing you can do but clean it up. It's that simple. Now, if you do catch your dog in the middle of the act, in the middle of going, if you can, and this is tough, you immediately want to pick them up and get them outside as fast as possible. You don't want to scream at them. You don't want to yell at them. You don't want to give them a reason to want to avoid you when they pee in the house. You see what I'm saying? You don't want them to try to hide the pee from you. So you want to try to get them outside immediately and get them to go outside in that moment. Try to connect the dots of, I want you to pee out here, and then reward it if they do pee out there. But you don't want to scald them, you don't want to punish them. These things are not going to work for housebreaking, guys. Housebreaking, it, it's a biological thing. It's a biological mechanism that your dog naturally has to do, and they quite frankly don't understand that they're not supposed to go in the house and supposed to go outside. They have to be taught it. And you can't teach them it by scolding a biological response. It's just, it's just not going to work, okay? So, can't stress it enough. The only thing you can do if you don't catch them in the act is clean it up. And the proper cleaner that I like to use personally, my proper favorite cleaner is Nature's Miracle. Great stuff, works really well. The whole key is it's got to have a specific compound chemical in it that actually breaks down the, the urine, the smell of the urine. You know, you may not be able to smell the urine if you clean it up with a little Windex, but your dog still can. So it's important that you use a proper cleaner to get that scent of the urine out to your dog so they're less likely to want to repeat and, and go on that spot again, okay? No pee pads proper cleanup. How about the bells? David, I want to teach my dog to ring a bell to go outside. It's the same thing as a pee pad, guys. Why are we adding in an extra variable? There's no, I prefer to just teach my dog to hold it. Okay. Don't worry. I'll take you out. Like you're going to go out plenty of times in the day. I don't need them constantly telling me when they need to go. That one also, okay, look, it, it, it can backfire. The dog will start ringing it when they don't need to go, but they, excuse me, they just want to go outside, you know? And while that's not always the case, again, why add in an extra variable? I'm already trying to teach them three things. Why are we adding in a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh? You know, keep it simple, guys. Dogs are simplistic creatures. We try to overcomplicate things with all this human stuff. Like, oh, if I bring a bell and I put a pee pad in it. Stop being human about this. Like, Stop being a human being and thinking like a person. You need to think like a dog. And dogs don't think like that. Okay? It's just wrong. It's not that you can't teach them that. It's not, That's what I'm saying. I know plenty of people that have done it successfully, but... Why is my question always, why are you trying to add in an extra variable when you, quite frankly, don't have to? That's the way I see it. Don't you want the quickest, easiest, fastest training method, right? Doesn't everybody? And look, quick and easy are not exactly, they don't go with training. Because like I said, housebreaking can take potentially five months. But at the same time, if you want to do it quickly, you have to do it this way. You don't want to add in variables that you do not need. All right, so... Moving past the things you don't need, the variables we don't need to add, um, let's let's talk about uh, the crate a little bit. 
again, to me, it doesn't really matter. If, if I'm bringing a new rescue dog into my home, I'm crating them, period. No ifs, ands, or buts, and you should be too. The crate is a wonderful tool to teach your dog housebreaking. Look, especially if you've got a rescue dog with some nerves, maybe some anxiety, and you leave, that's a common one. They'll pee when you leave because it's they're anxious and they have that separation anxiety. The crate can help eliminate that. So I don't want to, you know, we don't need to like get into the crate over and over today, but I'm just going to tell you, if you're housebreaking your dog, guys, the crate is an absolute must. It's not a, well, maybe, I don't know. Let's I'll see how we feel. We'll see. Feel it out. No, do it right away. Do it right away. Introduce the crate and get it going. It's one of the best tools for housebreaking. Um, now, another thing I want to mention about housebreaking is intake and output, right? <laughs> uh, intake and output, knowing how much food your dog has gotten, when they got it, Look, you all are dog owners, you know? I mean, for those of you guys who've had them for a couple months at least, you know, you start to learn your dog pretty well, don't you? You love them, you're paying attention, you're really into it. And you start to notice how often they pee. Oh, my dog, I'll hear it from owners. I hear it from owners all the time when I take dogs. He pees four, you know, pees six times a day and poops three times a day. Occasionally he'll do a fourth one, but only if it's after 6 p.m. Like, it's incredible. And it, they're, they're creatures of habit, right? It's, it's a good thing. They're healthy. Uh, they're regular. <laughs> but that's the, that's a good thing to see that pattern and recognize it when you're in the housebreaking stage. Because then I know, oh, I fed my dog. And literally, like, exactly an hour and a half after I feed my dog, he needs to poop. That's fantastic. Use that to your advantage and make sure you take them out at an hour and 25 as opposed to an hour and 30. That way you're heading it off and ready for him to poop outside as opposed to waiting for an hour and 30. All of a sudden needs to poop. Oh, he did it inside. Darn. That's what I'm saying. Know when your dog has eaten. Know how much they've had. Water, it's the same thing. Look, for, on the puppy side, for puppies, and especially because we're not, we're, not, we're not in summer right now, you know? We're not having dogs overheating left and right. We don't have to be as concerned about that. Um, so puppies tend to overdrink. They do. Puppies tend to overdrink even if it's not hot out. And if you have a puppy that's this big uh, and he fills his bladder to, bladder to this big, do the math. He's, you know, sorry, I know you can't visualize that on the podcast, but you, you, you hear what I'm saying. If the dog is tiny and the bladder is getting filled past the size of the dog, the dog is going to explode with pee. All right. So most people let their dogs drink and drink and rather puppies drink and drink and drink and drink or even dogs. I've seen dogs, guys, where they drink and drink and it becomes habitual to the point that the dog overdrinks and can't hold its bladder. I mean, that's that's it's probably not totally healthy throwing that out there. Um, for one thing, look, it's an obsessive behavior. Any obsessive behavior is not a good thing. So over drinking obsessively to me is still a bad thing. I'm, you know, just saying. Anyway, so you need to understand how much water your dog's got. Uh, rather, how much water your dog has had, how much they have drank, okay? If you need to limit the water a little bit for puppies, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're giving them an adequate amount, making sure they're staying hydrated. But if you know your dog just drank for 30 seconds straight, they walked away from the bowl, the puppy, 10 seconds later, they come back and drink for another 30 seconds straight. That's a little much, guys. I don't think your puppy needs that much water. They're bored, they're puppies. They're just, they're, they're figuring out the world. That's the stuff, that's the kind of stuff they do. And they need guidance from you to know to do things correctly. So pulling that water bowl once they've had enough, waiting for them to pee, then putting the water bowl back down, very important. Know your dog's intake and output, control it, and that way you can help control those variables of when they are going to pee and poop. You can control it, reinforce it, strengthen it, and all of a sudden, boom, we're housebreaking our dogs. All right, so quick recap today, guys. Let's remember, we always wanna leash up our dogs when we're taking them outside and putting a treat in our pocket when we go out there. We're going to wait until they're done going. We're gonna we're gonna guide them with the leash. We're gonna guide them into that circle, figure eight motion, getting them in that pee mode. Once they do go pee, we tell them, good boy, good girl, make a big deal, give them a treat right away outside in the yard the second they're done peeing. 
If they don't go, we bring them back inside, we tether them to our side, or we put them in the crate. 10, 20 minutes go by, we take them out, we try it again. We rinse and repeat until we get success and can reinforce them going outside. Remember to avoid using pee pads. We don't want to use pee pads. We don't want to use the ring and the bell. We want to keep things simplistic. Our dogs are already learning enough, right? There's already enough things we're trying to reinforce and strengthen. We don't need to add another behavior in there for no reason. If your dog does have an accident, and it's inevitable they will when you're housebreaking, make sure you're using a proper cleaner. My favorite one, Nature's Miracle. Very important that you use the right kind of cleaner to clean up your dog's messes. Let's also remember to uh, understand intake output, how much they've had, when they've had it, knowing when your dog needs to poop, how many times they poop in a day, controlling it, setting them up for success. Remember guys, puppies will over drink to a point that they cannot hold it. You're never gonna break, house break your dog if your puppy over drinks to the point that they're peeing clear. It's just that simple. Remember that all of these rules can be applied to a puppy, full grown dog. Uh, house breaking is all done the same way. Keep it simple, keep it consistent, and you'll be house breaking your dog in no time. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak A Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak A Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Dogcast utilizing a training leash. Now it's pretty simple. Training leash is just a really long leash. Okay, it's a regular old nylon leash that can be, you know, it can be six feet. I mean, of all six foot leashes, a normal leash in my opinion. Ten foot leashes where a training leash starts, then 10, 25, 30, even up to 50 or 100 feet. These leashes are amazing, and I don't think people take advantage of them enough. You can buy them anywhere, guys. You can buy them in the, at the pet store, uh, online pet stores. Amazon has them. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Uh, uh, they, they call them training leashes, okay? Very, very simplistic. Now, the thing with the training leash is while they're an amazing training tool, they can be a little bit of a dangerous training tool. So I just want to put the disclaimer out there. When we are working with the training leash, I really recommend you make sure you have a clear and open space. There's not necessarily a lot of people around, especially when you first start working with it. Make sure there's no kids around, little kids. We don't want little kids around when we're using these long training leashes. They can be dangerous. Um, anybody that's ever had a rope, uh, you ever had whip, uh, rope burn, right? Rope burn's not fun. And these nylon leashes give you just about the worst rope burn you can have. And not only that, if the dog is running and dragging one of these and you're standing there and it gets you just right, it'll actually wrap up around your ankle and pull and then rope burn you away. I've had it happen. It does not feel good. I've had it happen like two times ever, thank goodness, and all the times I've used these leashes. But it is inevitable that there can't, you know, someone's going to get a little bit of leash burn if you're not careful. So I do need you guys to be very careful, very aware, very cautious. Make sure you're doing this safely. All right. So there's the disclaimer. Be sure you're very careful when utilizing a training leash. 
have a clear area, blah, 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 so on and so forth, okay? Now, the dogs don't tend to get caught up in these nearly as much for a lot of reasons, and their fur helps protect them too, so I have not had the issue of dogs getting injured on these, but I have had people issues. Either way, want you to be careful. All right, enough said. So, training leashes are a great way to teach, I mean, the number one thing I use them for, a recall. Training, uh, teaching our dogs a recall, teaching your dog to come back to you. And really awesome, guys. Be sure you subscribe to my Instagram channel. We're doing Training Tip Tuesdays now. Every Tuesday, brand new dog training tip coming at you. Uh, and next week, we might just talk about the recall. So be sure you just, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Or excuse me, well, YouTube as well. Why not? YouTube channel, Instagram channel. <laughs> Go check them out, guys. We're going to start getting more content up on the YouTube channel soon. Uh, we've been having some technical issues with computers and such. We're working that out. And in a few weeks here, that'll all be taken care of. And we're going to get back to the YouTube channel. But like I said, I've been having some kind of technical issues with computers computer's not cooperating with video content. It's a lot. It's a lot to edit and it takes a lot of time. Um, so we're a little behind, but subscribe to my YouTube channel because we're going to be bringing the Training Tip Tuesdays there as well. We're going to be bringing Training Tip Tuesdays to Instagram more. And also, brand new, we're going to be taking the Training Tip Tuesdays and stay, taking them a step further. Go check out my Patreon page. My Patreons, uh, Patreon page, my patrons, you guys are going to have exclusive content coming to you. Where we're going to break down the Training Tip Tuesdays and talk more in depth about each of those tips. Give you a little more advice, a little more information. So if you want some more dog training information, dog training advice, be sure you become a patron of the show today by going to patreon.com slash speakadogcast. You can also find me on Instagram at speakadogcast and my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash speakadogcast. All right, there's the little plug for the day. But a lot of good training tips coming on Training Tip Tuesday there. And so we'll talk more about utilizing the long leash and a recall, um, you know, down the road here. So be sure you check it out. So again, this is one of the basic ways I teach a recall. It's pretty simplistic. I mean, it really is pretty simple. Look, guys, my mantra, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. I mean, really, that's what dog training is all. I see dog trainers who have these giant dog training belts on and they've got like 50 tools attached to it. It's like they think they're so awesome. And I I kind of laugh at it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I kind of laugh at it because the most I'll have is like a dog bowl and maybe a tennis ball, treat pouch, poop bags, like that, that's about it. I don't really need much more than that. Occasionally I'll bring a training leash, but you know, I'll throw it in a backpack. I don't, I don't, I don't, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so when I utilize a training leash, guys, um, here's the, here's the thing. I don't put a dog on a training leash right away. I put them on a six foot leash first. To me, this is really important. You can't expect your dog to listen from 100 feet away if they don't know how to listen from two feet away. It's that simple. It's really basic. And like, think about it. It makes sense. There is absolutely no way your dog is going to listen to you from 100 feet away if you don't have that focus two feet a leash. It all starts with two feet a leash. We're not going to talk about in depth of how to get all that today. You can go check out all my other segments. Um on how to create focus, how to start walking well with your dog, loose leash, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, but it has to start there. If you don't have all that good stuff, graduating to the um, training leash is just not going to go well. It's just not a good idea. I want you to walk before you run. And same thing with your dog. So let's assume we have all that good stuff. Our dog knows how to focus. Our dog's a pretty darn good walker. We're pretty good at loose leash. And I don't need perfection, right? Okay. But they're good. So we're going to put this um, training leash on. Now, ideally, the first time you use a training leash, I would like you to be in a controlled environment, maybe your fenced backyard, maybe an empty dog park. You know, certain times of days, dog parks do tend to be empty. Go when nobody's there. Uh, go to a friend's house who has, if you don't have a fenced backyard, but find somewhere safe. I want you to be cautious the first time you do this because, you know, you don't know what your dog is going to do the first time you give them a little freedom. Okay. But you're going to put the training leash on 
And I'm just going to let them sniff around. I'm going to go, all right, release them, let them do their thing. They can sniff around, have fun. And then when I'm ready for it, okay, I'm going to pick up the end of the leash. And without hesitation, I'm going to start pulling on the leash lightly, carefully, but pulling on the leash, calling their name, and whatever you want to do, a whistle, a kissy noise. Uh, some people like to do that for a recall, you know, pair a sound to it. Because obviously saying fluffy out loud may not, you know, get across a field or the dog park. The whistle, something like that can be more helpful. So anyway, name, I'm going to reel them in and say their name simultaneously. Fluffy, fluffy, reeling in that thing. The second they come to me, treat. I'm going to feed them a treat right there, Okay. Okay, then I'm going to release them. All right, let them go sniff, let them get distracted. Once they're distracted again, pick up the end of the leash, reel them in fluffy, call their name simultaneously. Very important. Don't call their name first. I need you to be pulling on them. Don't give them an option but to come to you, right? Okay, boom. There's the recall, guys. That's where it starts. We're not, we're not getting into the details of the recall today because there's a segment on that, believe it or not. <laughs> but this is how we can utilize a long leash. Now, another way people can utilize long leashes that a lot of people do already, but they're using the wrong kind of long leash. How many people hate and despise the runaway leashes? How many people hate and despise those stupid extendable leashes? The damn things with the plastic and the handle and the click and you can lock it and I cannot stand those leashes for a multitude of reasons. You want to talk about rope burn? Those those leashes have like the little round nylon, uh, you know, rope leash and man, those little round ones can literally, I mean, dude, they could they could they could pull your finger off, you know, like those things are serious. So I see people get wrapped up in those and get more hurt with an extendable leash than I ever do with a training leash, even a 50 foot one. I see people get injured more often with extendable leashes than I ever do with training leashes. You know, food for thought guys. Um, Look, if it were up to me, uh, extendable leashes would be illegal to normal average citizens. To me, the only people who really have a use for an extendable leash is like bomb sniffing dogs or some kind of hunting or scent work, those kind of things. Um, Even a bed bug sniffing dog, maybe that's a good time to utilize an extendable leash. But other than that, the average owner should not be using an extendable leash. I'm just being honest. You want to do that, guys, you should be using a training leash. You have more control. It's safer. It's a better option. Um, They they can't break like an extendable leash will. So... If you want to give your dog more freedom, this is what I'm getting to. If you want to give your dog more freedom out on the walk, bring a training leash with you. Like, I'm going to have my dog on my six-foot regular leash. We're walking along. Maybe there's a field somewhere you want to give them more freedom, but not total freedom. I'm going to pull out that 50-foot leash, pop it on, let them have a little freedom. Okay? If I can trust them, I can let them drag it around at least. Give them freedom to you know, the point that I don't have to hold on to that 50 feet, but I can let them drag it. That way, again, very simple. I have 50 feet to be able to get to my dog if they try to get distracted, run away, whatever. Now, again, if you think your dog's going to run away from you, I do not recommend dropping the leash. Like, know your dogs, guys. This is why we work on a recall with a training leash before we put ourselves in this scenario. What about you want to go to the beach for the day? And you know there's going to be other dogs at the beach, right? Like a dog beach. Even a dog park, I still utilize the long leashes. I know there's people out there who get mad at me because I'm coming in with a training leash. And letting them drag it around. I usually don't bring like a 50-foot one to a dog park, but like a 10-foot one, yeah, I'll let them bring a 10, maybe sometimes 20-foot, depending on how busy it is. Because if I have a new dog that's, if I have a dog that's, that's let's say we're working through some behavioral issues and socialization, we're getting to a point that I need them to be, in, they're, they're, they've gotten so good that we need to be in a crowd of dogs, but there's a little bit of unknown because we haven't done that yet. Well, guess what, guys? I'm not going to forfeit all that control by walking into a dog park and popping the leash off and go, here you go, free for all. And then all of a sudden there's a fight. Now I have to reach my hands into a dog fight. Not a good idea. So it's not necessarily a horrible idea to let your dog drag around a training leash. I don't understand it. I've gotten chewed out before for letting my dog drag a training leash around. 
And then oddly enough, the person who's chewing me out, this was hilarious, this happened once, the person who was chewing me out, his dog started a fight with my dog. <laughs> Wasn't my dog's fault. And I had a training leash to be able to get in there, redirect and pull that dog away safely and nobody got hurt. Crazy. Kind of ironic, don't you think, that the owner that's chewing me out is the dog is reflecting their behavior and chewing another dog out? Huh. It's almost like it's connected somehow. So... There's a lot of different ways we can utilize these long leashes. Again, the beach, same thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's even less controlled than a dog park. There's no fences, guys. I don't know why you wouldn't want to have some level of control by letting your dog drag a nice long leash around. Same thing. Let's just say new social. I, my friend's got a new rescue dog. They're going to bring him over to socialize with my dog in the backyard. I'm going to pop two 10-foot leashes on those dogs. I don't know what this rescue dog, and they might be the new one, my friends, they don't know what the new rescue dog is going to do. Depends, right? It all depends on the scenario and the situation, but I don't think people really think of a training leash as a good tool, and I don't don't think it's a go-to, and so I wanted to talk about it today to tell you guys, pop on a 10-foot leash, 20-foot, whatever this, you know, depending on your scenario, depends on what kind of leash you need to put on there, but they can be used for a recall. They can be used for safety purposes. They can be used to give your dog more freedom without having to totally give them freedom. They might trip on it a little bit at first, but you'd be shocked. They get really good at maneuvering around it and knowing where it is and not tripping on it anymore if you give them that opportunity. But if you only let them have it on for five minutes, go, oh, they're tripping on, we need to take it off. Come on, guys, dogs are better than that. Um, <laughs> give them a chance, all right? So again, I can't stress it enough. A lot of good ways to utilize a training leash. Get rid of the extendable leashes, guys. If you have an extendable leash, just stop it. Just stop it. Like, <laughs> just stop. Get rid of the damn things. Horrible training tool, horrible walking tool. I can't stand them bane of my existence, get rid of them. All right, so get yourself a nice training leash, check them out, all the pet stores sell them, uh, and you'll discover how much more flexibility, versatility, and freedom you can give your dog and keeping everybody safe at the same time. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about Yale University. Founded on October 9th, 1701, Yale University is the third oldest institution of higher learning in the United States. Now, Yale has had only one mascot over the years. He's been around since the 1890s, and his name is Handsome Dan. But Dan is not a person. Nope, he is a bulldog, yes. Now the story goes that a student named Andrew B. Graves, who was on the crew and football teams, was walking by a local storefront. Now he noticed a bulldog sitting outside and he offered $5 to the owner and uh, took him. (laughs) He became an instant hit at the football and baseball games. He would run across the fields at the beginning of the games to hype up everybody and the crowds just loved him. Now he continued to represent the school for almost a decade. When he retired, he moved to England with his original owner, Graves, who kept him until his death two years later. Now, after the original handsome Dan passed, uh, his owner sent him back to the U.S. to be stuffed and then displayed at the school where he remains um, even today. A little weird, but, you know, I mean, to each his own. Uh, <laughs> there have been a total of 19 handsome Dans, with the newest edition joining the school in 2021. Listener Q&A. 
The first question today comes from Sierra from Austin, Texas. Sierra says, my puppy is biting me a lot. I have tried giving her a toy. I've tried pretending she's hurting me, but nothing works. She's almost starting to come at me more vicious lately. She's a four month old mini golden doodle. And while she won't be that big, I don't want her biting. How do I get her to stop? Sierra, thanks for the question. Um, you know, look, I'll be honest. There's, there's one thing I'm not hearing here. There's one thing I'm not hearing. You said nothing works, but there's something you're not trying. Discipline. Um, you're not disciplining your dog, you know, and you need to be disciplining. That doesn't mean you need to be doing anything crazy, but you need to be disciplining your dog. I, it, it, right there, it's telling me your dog won't stop biting you. You're not providing enough of a leadership position to your dog that your dog wants to listen. Just, you know, this is full-blown honesty here, Sierra. Uh, look, I get this a lot with these golden doodles, these little mini golden doodles that are all fluffy and cute. And Oh, we don't... I, look, underneath the hood, they're the same thing as a lab, as a German Shepherd, as a Great Dane. Guys, a dog is 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 a dog. Sierra, you have a mini golden doodle. It's adorable, but it's a dog. And you can clearly hear from what you've told me. Unfortunately, Sierra, you're just, you're not providing enough discipline. You're not providing enough structure, rules, boundaries. I'm sure you're providing a lot of affection and that's great, but that's not the meat and potatoes. The affection has to come after the fact. Okay. Your dog is biting. This is going to snowball. This is going to get worse if you don't do something about it. So just full-blown honesty from a professional. You need to be providing rules, boundaries, and structure. Look, there's a great uh, segment called Correct Corrections, one of my segments uh, a couple weeks back. Go check it out. Go have a listen. Correct Corrections. It's all about how to use corrections properly. You need to be utilizing a proper collar or touch corrections. Your dog's four, month old, four months old, even a mini golden doodle. You can have a martingale collar on her. Okay, We can be making these corrections and stopping this behavior now before it gets worse. Because if you let this get out of hand too much, your dog's gonna keep pushing. Look, this is just, this is what it, this is what puppies do. I mean, your pu the, the thing is, your puppy's not really, well, yes, biting is a wrong behavior. At the same time, your puppy's not doing anything wrong. You know why? Because your puppy is acting out. That's what a puppy is supposed to do. They're acting out to find, is anybody gonna put a boundary down? And if the answer is no, then the puppy just keeps pushing because that's what that's what biology and psychology tell them to do. If nobody's going to put this boundary here, I keep pushing. There's no reason for them to stop. They're just going to keep doing it. It's just like a child. It's just like any animal with psychology. If you don't give an animal a reason to stop doing a behavior, they will continue to do it. Not only that, it's probably getting passively reinforced, maybe even actively too, depending on... So, Again, Sierra, I, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but you've got to discipline your dog. That's what you're missing out on. That's what you said nothing works, but you haven't tried discipline. So uh, definitely listen to some of my other segments on corrections, on dog psychology. That's the other side of it. You got to know what a correction is. You have to know what reinforcement is because without an understanding of those two things, we, we, we have a hard time understanding how to reinforce and strengthen, how to punish and weaken behavior. If you don't know what the definition and what those are, it's going to be a little hard, you know? So have a listen to my dog psychology segments. Have a listen to that correct correction segment and check it out. And I, I hope that helps out. Next question. This comes from Addison from Wilmington, Delaware. Addison says, my golden retriever is the king of hotspots. <laughs> my vet says some dogs are just more prone to them. And, you know, there's not much we can do except treating it. Wanted to see if you knew anything to help. Addison, great question. Thank you for the question. Yeah, look, hey, I've been there. My 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 male golden, it's funny, my female golden retriever, Violet, I think she's had maybe, she's nine, year, nine years old, and she's had probably two hot spots ever in her life. My male golden Colby retriever, he got them all the time. Oh my God, the poor buddy. He just, it was bad breeding. Colby, unfortunately, came from bad genetics, and he had all kinds of issues over the years with his skin. And so hot spots are one of those things where I do see a kind of a genetic connection to it. I see dogs that are more well-bred tend to have less of an issue. 
breed definitely has something to do with it. I think the, all the fur and the matting and the, the problem, you know, what ends up happening is bacteria collects and the, 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 it can get damp and then it collects and, and that causes the, the hot spot, the irritation. Dogs that have longer fur are just going to be more prone to it. Dogs that have fur like a golden versus even something like I don't really see them much on Great Pyrenees, not that they don't get them, but just, you know, haven't seen them like I do on goldens. So look, are there things you can do? Yes, regular grooming supposedly helps. At the same time, pff, I don't really know if that's going to help. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's a skin issue. It's some people's skin gets irritated easier than others. So brushing might help, brushing might not. Uh, grooming, bathing more regularly can help. I found a great hot spot. These hot spot sprays, there's a lot of them, and there's a great hot spot spray. Honestly, I'm blanking on the name because I don't even have it anymore. I haven't had to use a hot spot spray in forever um, since we since we lost Colby, um, which is good. You know, that's, that's like it makes me sad, but it's good we don't have dogs with hot spots anymore. Um, but I miss my buddy, and I miss the smell of that hot spot spray. It smelled really good. It had like tea tree oil and some very natural oils. That's that's my recommend. I look for that kind of stuff. Um, the second it gets irritated, you want if you can with a very safely with a buzzer and scissors mostly buzzer please be careful with scissors with your dog um but if you can you want to try to buzz the the area where the hot spot is because my my goal with hot spots was to avoid the vet you know what i mean like i wanted to nick that thing so fast and because one i want to heal my buddy up and two i don't want to have to put him in a cone of shame and have to put medicine on it and the whole you know you don't want to go through the whole thing for the poor guy so the thing is if you see him licking check that spot out and if you so much as see an irritation pull out the buzzer buzz out the area with all the fur, clean it out, clear it out so it's open, it can breathe, seriously, it gets air, because that's key. That is key to curing a hot spot. Getting the fur out of there, making sure it can breathe, keeping it as dry as you can while also using like a hot spot spray, and of course, keeping them from licking it. Your vet's right. Some dogs are just more prone to it, and as far as my knowledge is, there's not much you can do short of trying to groom, you know, uh, consistently that's really going to headed off. So I'm sorry, Addison. I wish I had better advice for you on that. Good luck. And um, hey, keep, keep your golden hotspot free as best you can. <laughs> the answer to today's trivia question, what breed of dog is the tallest dog? It's the Great Dane, of course. Yes, the tallest recorded Great Dane on record was a dog named Zeus at three feet, 5.18 inches in height. <laughs> That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast and join me there every Tuesday for our Training Tip Tuesday. Brand new dog training tips coming at you every single week. You can uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash speakadogcast. Support the show even further. Become a patron at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And if you love the show, if you love what you're hearing, scroll down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate it, guys. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Frossen. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.